Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our equipping pastor, Dennis Kozlov. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. Good morning, church. Awesome. You guys are awesome. All right. On March 9, I will become an American citizen. Oh, and my wife, of course. I'm sorry. And my wife, of course. Yes. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Amen. 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 Yes. Hallelujah. It's on Nancy's birthday. Who would have known? That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you can't refer to me as Russian anymore, and I have a freedom to come in the weird suits. Like I, I thought, like, I should look like an American king. And the only king America ever had was Elvis. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, let's get serious now. All right. We continue our series called The Heart of the New Covenant. And basically, Neil and I, we took a bite that we couldn't swallow. We thought we're going to squeeze into this time frame two books of the New Testament. And then we looked at the calendar and we said, we're not able to do that. We'll just do one, one book, the book of Ephesians. So we continue. And as preachers, you know, so often preachers present God as a first responder to our crisis, which is true. But they also present the gospel as, as just fixing our problems, which is true too. Not that's not the vista of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians reveals eternal purpose of God. It, it brings us not from the point of view of our fall and sin and corruption, our disintegration, but our brokenness, but from the point of view of God's heart's desire. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. You know what? That's from God. God is in pursuit of happiness. He, his heart was full of so much goodness and love that he just couldn't hold it to himself. He wanted to multiply it, to extend it, to expand it, and he developed a plan to do it. And that's what Paul says, the will of God. And he said that will remain to be a mystery through ages, and it was finally revealed all right? So that's why we call. And this, this is what Paul, Paul is trying, Apostle Paul is trying to do in the book of Ephesians. He is trying to express it verbally, which is really hard, but he is trying, and we are trying. So <laughs> it's not about the problem to be fixed. It's about the purpose to be fulfilled. That's why we call it Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. Paul is talking about something that brings pleasure to God's heart. And he said, God, God devised, composed a plan of his eternal counsel to extend the family relationship of love that has always existed between the 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to extend it and usher us into this relationship. Whoa. And this is the gospel. He's not talking about sin. He said, that's my heart's desire. It's not, yes, sin happened. And he addresses that. And we will talk about it today. But he said, nothing is going to derail my plan, which is really good for you guys. He's like a bulldog. He's like a pit bull. He's not going to let go. And he wanted to grasp you. And that's the gospel. Guys, okay. Let's read the text for today's chapter 2. I'm going to read it slowly. And I hope you've been doing my homework, which was to read first three chapters of the book of Ephesians slowly, prayerfully, contemplate, soak it in. Let's do it right now one more time. Chapter 2. And I'll, then I'll read it slowly, and then I'll try to unpack some of it. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. You see, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles, and right now he's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to you guys. He's talking to me. He said, now remember Remember that you were at that time, that verse 12, you remember that at, at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That just means the nation of God. And strangers, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in this world. But now, that's the title of my message. But now, remember that at that time, that was true of you. But now, it's different. <laughs> they ask me not to whisper. I don't anymore. <laughs> but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both Jews and Gentiles, who has made us both one. And he has taken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He tore it down by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. There were two, Jews and Gentiles, and you were one of them, but not anymore. He has done something tremendous to take people out of these two groups destroy anything that was between him and them, destroy anything that was between them and them, and make one new man in himself. His body, his church, his bride, his warrior, his temple, his city, New Jerusalem. That's much bigger than what you think about the church. 
The book of Ephesians is a revelation of what the church is in the eyes of God. Let's continue. Don't let me be distracted. <laughs> One new man in the place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were, where is it? Who were far off and peace to those who were near. He's still talking to those two groups of people. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father, God the Father. The family is complete. And you are invited. Do you see it in this verse? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the holy people of God, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Whoa! Does it sound like, yeah, I go to that church? <laughs> no. We need the eyes of faith to see church like Paul saw the church. Whoa. Okay, guys, Grand Canyon. Now I'll try to unpack some of what I just read. All right? Pray for me. Remember that Paul is trying to communicate the mystery of God's eternal purpose. He begins from this lofty point in chapter 1. And then by the end of chapter 2, he takes us down to the valley of something that stands in stark contrast to his purpose. And then he tells us what God has done with this dire situation. And then right before Paul tells us what is God doing today... He gives a strong word of his exhortation. We preachers, we are trained, and every time we work with a text, always ask a question, what's the practical application? And it's easy to miss it in the first three chapters because it's so lofty, it's so high. But there is one, and Paul actually is very strong about it. He says, now remember... Remember, very practical. What is remember? Well, first of all, to remember something, you need to know it. Well, I'll be Captain, Captain Obvious. <laughs> to remember is the opposite of forgetting something. So Paul tells you not to forget something. What is to remember? Remember, well, what is, let's, let's understand what remember. You see, what we've done today with the cup and the bread, we were doing exactly that. We were remembering. We were bringing it. We knew something, but it's drifting. So 
Remembering is, is, a, is a spiritual practice of every Christian that you need to acquire and learn how to do. What it is is that you bring something that is at the fore background of your mind. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're not careful, something that is important and you know would drift away into the background of your mind and then into the peripheral vision and then into out of sight into oblivion. That's forgetting things. How do you remember? You grab it from the background of your mind, from periphery of your knowledge, and you bring it to the forefront of your consciousness. That's what remember is. And Paul said you're going to have no traction if you keep forgetting important things. And he said, remember. He said it twice. I'll tell you a funny story. A few years ago, a friend of mine took me to a shooting range. Yes, I believe in those amendments too. Yes, so we went to a shooting range, and I, I, he brought a bunch of guns. He actually part of this uh, congregation. His name is to be remained secret. So, <laughs> it's not Neil. <laughs> so, we went to a shooting range, and he, we brought all kinds of guns, and he bought ammo, and yeah, we started shooting. And the most impressive piece was, what is it, AR-15? So, he brought it. And I was like, oh, man, I, oh, awesome, let's, let's shoot that thing. Well, there was a little problem with that. He was assembling it himself. And it was a long process, and it wasn't finished. So that thing missed a sight. Exactly. You know what a sight is? Those two pieces that when you're aiming, you're supposed to kind of realign, and then you will hopefully shoot right. So we thought, well, not a big deal, right? We have bullets. We have Target, we have rifle, it's all good. And it's big enough, so you kind of, you, you can kind of like aim it at, hopefully you'll shoot some of it. I kid you not, we couldn't even get the paper. <laughs> Seriously, it's just like, boom, nothing, boom, nothing. Just waste of money. It was so frustrating. That's a great example, guys. You need to bring certain things to the forefront of your consciousness and realign your life in light of that and then you'll start hitting the target and Paul is talking about those things what what are the things what are these things what are these things that you're supposed to bring to the forefront of your consciousness well the answer may first sound like a contradiction but it's not it's a paradox of faith you know the difference between contradiction and paradox well for those of you who don't I even copied the definition. It's seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition, but when it's investigated or explained, it turns out to be well-founded and true. So that's, listen, Paul tells you by listening all these things. He says, remember, you need to remember those two things and realign them together. Your total and utter disqualification to participate in God's heart's desire, His will, and His purpose. You need to acknowledge that. That in yourself, in your natural state, you have nothing in you that would enable you to participate in God's heart's desire. That's thing number one. You need to bring the second thing. And that your absolute and complete qualification is given to you to be the key player in carrying out God's desire by grace. These two things, it's, 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 it's amazing. It, 
First, you need to see clearly all the disqualifiers for yourself. To really finally admit it, acknowledge that, accept it, and make peace with that. Just say, yes, Lord, I'm totally disabled. I'm crippled to the uttermost. That's fine. I accept that. I stop. I cease. I will never, ever try to pull it off on my own. And then, amazingly, that actually qualifies you to become the recipient of God's grace that enables you and qualifies you. Do you hear me? Okay, I hope I'm not too complicated. So first you need to see clearly all the disqualifiers, and then you need to see how God has dealt with them through Christ and His accomplished work on the cross, how He has dealt with all disqualifiers, removed all hindrances and obstacles, and supplied and has given everything that you were lacking. And trust me, you were lacking a lot then but now so what i did as i was preparing for this i i i pulled a notebook and i opened it and i said i'm gonna take time open the book of ephesians and just start reading it carefully and i will start uh, cataloging all the disqualifiers that paul points out and all, also everything that qualifies me in christ and i will put one on one side and the other list would be the second side. Here's what I came up with. We were, I'll start with disqualifiers. We were dead spiritually. Hey, you know, you're dead. If you don't have Jesus, you might be a wonderful person. But dude, you're dead. You know how dead you are? You stink. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I'm not talking about the qualities of your character. You're wonderful. You might be a wonderful father, a wonderful worker. You might have a great work ethic, but spiritually, there's nothing. There's nothing. You need to get life. You can't generate true, genuine life. So we were in sins and trespasses. That means we were like everything we would turn, we would do something that is opposite of God's nature and His character. We were predetermined to follow the course of this world. You guys, especially in America, you think like you call the shots, you get to choose. You're not really. A lot of things are predetermined for you, and you just follow the course. And that's not fun. That's anti-American. <laughs> you were slaves. Oh, another one is like you were being used unknowingly by spiritual forces antagonistic to God. So you, you, you're thinking it's you doing stuff, but in reality, this world is filled, replete with spiritual uh, entities, creatures. We, you don't see them always, but they're there. They're angels, they're archangels, they're seraphims, cherubims, they're demons, they're all kinds of things. And if you only walk by your physical eyes, you think, it's just me. Not always, my friend. And it says that before Jesus, before but now time has happened, you were every once in a while on a regular basis, you've been used by spiritual forces that are not of God. And you don't want to stay there. The next one says that we were slaves to our own lusts and desires. And some of those lusts and desires brought us to destructive behaviors that would bring affliction to our own souls and bodies. That's the wrath of God in the Bible, by the way. Wrath of God is not that God is mad at you. God loves you. But sometimes your lusts take you to do stuff that goes against the grain of the nature 
that God established. And that brings sufferings every single time. We are masters of self-destruction. It's hard to kick against the goats and hurt yourself. Well, anyway, I'm going to rush, uh, run through that quickly. We were far off from God's heart's desire, His plans, His move, His purposes. We were separated from Christ. We were strangers. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no legal rights to have any positive interaction with God. Gentiles, dead. Having no hope without God. Summary, dead, separated, excluded, alienated, having no hope to have anything to do with God. It was at that time. It was at that time. But now, hello. And listen to, to this. Before I move to qualifiers, I just listed these qualifiers. To be qualified to receive the fullness of God's grace, you need to agree with these qualifiers. You need to say, yes, God, I have zero in me, zero, less than zero to qualify for your heart's desire on this world, on this earth, in this world. And then all of a sudden said, yes, God says, are you ready to receive a gift? And uh, before I move to the qualifiers, How do you move? I want to ask you a question. How do you move from absolutely disqualified to absolutely qualified? It's one simple step, and I want to point it out to you. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, and we need to get, read it slowly to catch it. Ephesians 1, verse 13, and I chose this translation, New American Standard Bible. I really like this, this rendition of this translation. Let, let's read it. In Him, that is in Jesus... You also, that's Gentiles, those dead guys, isolated, alienated. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed into this message, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's how but now begins. You listen to the word of truth about Jesus, which is the message of a good news of your salvation in Jesus. And as you listen, God supplies you with faith to receive it. And as soon as you receive it and confess it with your mouth, God gives his Holy Spirit to you. And you become a person who can say, but now. Ha! Yes. So I don't know, guys. It's so easy in America to live for years thinking that you are alive, but you are not. You just go to church. You go to that church or this church, and you hear messages. Please listen to the message of your salvation in Jesus Christ and believe it, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Let's do it right now. Let's stand up right now. I'm sorry, guys. I have to. Just for the sake of those who might have never taken the step, I want them to feel comfortable. So let's close our eyes. And I'm, I'm talking to people online as well. If you've never taken the step, do it today. Receive Jesus into your heart so that you would no longer be then, but you would be but now. All right? So let's close our eyes and let's do it right now.
Father, repeat after me. Let's pray and mean it. And people online do the same thing. Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I acknowledge that I was totally disqualified to have anything to do with you. But now, you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for me and set me free. I believe in him as my only way of salvation. I receive you, Holy Spirit. Reveal the Father to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, guys. So that's a very simple demarcation line between then and but now. And I hope most of you have crossed this line. I hope so. And I really hope that somebody has done it for the first time. Whether here or online, please let us know. We'll be so excited to celebrate with you. Okay, now let's move to qualifiers. What God has done. He has graced us. He bestowed His grace. What is grace? It's not a theological term. It's His kindness to you. Is his soft mercy, loving kindness, tender, loving kindness. I don't know. I don't know how I have enough words in English. Nobody has enough words in their native language to express what grace is. And Jesus, Jesus, I called Neil Jesus. That's good. And Neil said last week, I, I, people have done it to me too, but like, that's good. That's good. That's actually, yeah. He said it last week that, Every time it says grace has come, that means Jesus has come into your life. Jesus is your qualifier. He has come. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. Grace is a person of Jesus. You're not alone anymore. This person is with you always. And he's not alone either. He's with the Father. He's with the Spirit. There are a bunch of angels. You're weird now. I love it. You're heavenly. You're earthly, but you're heavenly. You still sweat and stink sometimes, but you're heavenly. Seriously. Just accept that. That's how it all begins. All right? So let me just list those qualifiers. We have obtained the redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins. I hope you listen to our messages on the religious detox. Religion teaches you that you have to make God forgive you under every single... Every single time. That's not true if you study the Bible. You have received the redemption in His blood and the gift of forgiveness. You live in it. You walk in it. You've received the gift of forgiveness for all the things that you have done, will, is, are doing now, or will ever do. You just received it as a gift. God does not treat you by what you do anymore. Whoa! Exactly. It, that's what David had a glimpse of as a revelation. He was jumping because of that. All right. So we have, we have been made alive. But now, but now we are no longer dead. You may feel dead sometimes. That's okay. But you are not dead anymore. Life is within you. It can come to surface. It can bu bubble up. It can do things in your life. It can do things in other people's life through you. We have been united 
with Christ and seated in the heavenlies. We have a highest position of power and authority. We have access to the highest throne room in the universe, control center of the universe. You have access through Jesus. And listen, we have received the Holy Spirit as a pledge and as a seal. You know what seal in that time meant? If it's sealed, you don't touch it. It belongs to somebody. It's somebody's property. You are a royal property. Nobody touches you without touching royal authority. And also it's given as a pledge. Can you imagine, like, just imagine you have a really bad house, like you dilapidated. And some crazy billionaire said like, I really like to build something new here. I want to buy your house. How much do you want? And you, you go like, oh, I don't know, maybe $40,000. And he goes, no, I'll give you $5 billion because I feel like it today. And you think like it's either a scam or you don't know what to think. But the guy pulls out like a million and gives it to you as a pledge. He said, put it in your vault. I'm coming with the rest tomorrow. And you're like pinching yourself and like, maybe I just dreamt it. No, you go to your vault, you open it, you touch the money, and it's there. Whoa, it's real. That's, that's what he says Holy Spirit is doing with you. He sealed you, and he gave you himself as a pledge. And you know the cool thing about it? Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not a just rubber seal and like it's, it's done, and this is it. That's what some Christian believes. No, he's a person. Ah. Uh -uh. So he's constantly pledging the reality of God and the kingdom in your life. And he's constantly showing you, sealing you, sealing you. Every area of your life becomes his property. You create more and more rooms for him. He's like, ah. <laughs> But now, that's what's real in your life, guys. We have been made fellow citizens with the holy people of God. We are one with all the heroes of faith. You don't understand how, how big you are. You're not just part of this group of people in Northridge. You're part of the many thousands years of history in all those people are alive in God. How do you know that, how, how in the world did Jesus could talk to Elijah and Moses? And disciples saw that. You know, we, you're part of the same fellowship. Wow, it's much bigger than you think. I hate nominal cultural Christianity. I love biblical Christianity. Angels, saints of the past, saints of the future. I don't know how it works, guys, but it works. Cloud of witnesses. They're cheering, they're talking. They're talking to God. I don't know how it all works. I won't convert you into Catholics, don't worry. So anyway, gosh, I have five minutes. So anyway, guys, good news. Totally disqualified then. But now, in Christ Jesus, totally qualified. That's not it yet. I have five minutes. My question to you, qualified for what? For heaven, one day, when I die. No, not according to Paul. 
Not according to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, last two verses, guys. So now, I'll read from verse 19 all the way to the end of the chapter. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. By the way, household means intimate relationship to an extent that you don't have to wear a mask or play a role. I hope you all have households. That means you can come out in boxers and you're fine. <laughs> that's, that's a sign of a household. When I have to be dressed, that's not a household. <laughs> well, anyway, just a little caveat. So, listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, hallelujah, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Oh, church is so much more than you think it is. And that's what God is doing. That's what you got qualified for. In the Old Testament, the temple of God was the central place. You know, the nation was formed out of the slaves. They were set free from slavery, taken through a long process. They were formed into a nation, into an army, but then they needed to take the land. And then they took the land. And then at a certain time, the center of their existence was the holy place of God. For theologians, if you ask theologians, like, where's God? Theologians would say, everywhere. If you, were, if you would ask Jewish person from the Old Testament, where's God? He would tell you, yeah, God is everywhere, but the personal, tangible, experiential presence of God is in this spot right there, the temple. That's where we come and we experience God. That's where we come and we experience God's personal, tangible, experiential presence. And if we do, if we live in light of His revelation, He smiles at us there. He interacts with us there. And that's the image that Paul is using. He said, guys, you're not just a bunch of people. If you believe in the spiritual reality of what has happened on the cross, you become the living temple that is built together, not by human hands. Because God gives growth. Only true life can grow. Okay? So this is, you know, guys, I can't wait until... God would allow Neil and me to teach you from the Old Testament and the book of Revelation. You heard so much crap about those things. You need so much uh, detoxification from that things. You need to be so joyful when you read the book of Revelation. You need to have the eyes of grace to read some of these things. Well, anyway, it's, it's, it's in the future. It's coming soon, I believe. So, at the end... So I, I want you to begin to think in this way. One of the main image that Paul is using for telling us what God is doing based on what Christ has done is he's building this temple that will ultimately become the new city, New Jerusalem. In fact, it's already, we are already citizens of the new Jerusalem, heavenly city that God himself is building, has been building, and will continue to build, and you're invited and qualified to be part of this building process. I'm going to read you the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, uh, chapter 21, Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. 
It's a consummation of the Bible story and human history. And John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's church. Together, all the saints of the past, all the saints of the future, you who are living now, all together with Christ as the head, us as the body, his real dwelling place, the place of his presence, manifest and tangible. That's who you are. That's why we get together, guys. In Hebrews, it says in, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, if you read the whole chapter, it says, we have not come to these things that are listed in the Old Testament. We have not come to this mountain with the thunderstorm and scares, scary things and fear and Moses going up and everybody's afraid. He said, no, 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 no. That's old covenant. Here's the reality of the new covenant. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Whoa! Whoa! Can you refer? I just, yeah, that's the church I go to. Whoa! Angels, saints, God, oh! Holy Spirit, Father, throne room, oh! My goodness, it's all in your belly right now. And you need to learn to release it. And for this, you need to learn to put aside your, ah! Ah, I don't like these people. And my feelings get hurt by this. Take your feelings. You know what to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please, please, I'm so tired of this. Ah, small people who don't see a big picture, don't even want to see a big picture. They just want to be comfortable. Well, you can't be comfortable in this. You can worship for real, yeah. You can experience God for real, yeah. Is there a place for casual friendship? Of course. That's why we do connect groups. But just know it's not just about creating a little circle of friends of yours. It's much bigger. It's much better. It's much higher. It's much deeper. Pray for the eyes of your heart to be open. I'll be super practical, and I'll probably hurt some feelings right now. A lot of new people are coming. Love you guys. I love to generate crowds just like Jesus did. But he never trusted crowds. Hey, he generated crowds all the time, but he trusted his disciples. 
There's a fundamental difference, guys. You need to learn at a certain time to commit. You can't be a Christian that goes to every church in town. And if this is your place, commit. And if it's not, just go and find the place that you can commit. We'll bless everything. Just don't be on the fence for more than two years. Please don't be that. Don't be that small person. All right? Begin to grow. And now we'll worship and we'll experience coming to this reality of the heavenly city on earth. All right? New Jerusalem right now. Right now. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.